Welcome to the Gamesmith's Table Talk. This is a roundtable format discussion where I and my guests try to cover three tabletop roleplaying related topics in 15 minutes. If you know anything about tabletop roleplayers, then you'll know that this is an ambitious goal. Let's head to the table. Welcome back to our Table Talk podcast. I'm your host, Clayton the Gamesmith, and joining me are... I'm Franklin. I'm Cheryl. I'm Clark. Let's head to the table. The views and opinions of the panel are their own and do not reflect the views and opinions of any other individual company or organization. This podcast has been known to be opinionated. You have been warned. In this podcast, we're going to be talking about PCs or player characters playing NPCs or non-player characters, other features of the game like animal companions and familiars. As a GM, sometimes when you're playing the entire multiverse, except for the other players at the table, that is a heavy burden to carry. And sometimes it is helpful to pass off some of the responsibility of playing NPCs to the players. And that's what we're going to talk about next. Some players might not want that responsibility. They're like, I'm having enough problems playing one character. Thank you very much. And others will relish it. It's an opportunity to add more to the game world Mm -hmm. and to add more to the experience. For instance, if you're playing D&D, Pathfinder, any medieval type game, and you have your wizard or your sorcerer with a familiar, a lot of times it's like going along, going along, level one, level two, level three, level four, and then my owl familiar. You have a familiar? Yeah. Right? And everyone looks at the wizard like, where did that come from? It, it is a, a common enough story that it has become a trope of forgetting about the familiars, forgetting about the animal companions when they're not being actively useful. This is actually the circumstance where I think this idea can be the best executed. If you have one player on one side of the table playing the, the PC and the other player at the other side, especially playing a familiar that's an intelligent creature that can speak, that has a voice and a personality... It gives those players an opportunity to really play off of each other in a way that's really difficult to do if one person is playing both characters. Yes, and as the GM, it's something that can be actually helpful to add for fuel for the story. Because as the GM, I can slide a piece of paper to the familiar, who then can reveal that information to the player. It's like, oh, I found this thing out, da-da-da-da-da. And then it's not as ham-fisted in the story as, you know, a stranger walking up to you on the street and says, hey, did you know... So one of the greatest crimes that I'm I'm guilty of this as well is, you know, once again, it's three or four levels later, later and it's like, yeah, well, my familiar is going to do this. And it's like, well, the last time we heard about your familiar, they were in a barn in three towns ago. So as far as I know, your familiar's still there. And it's like, well, obviously my familiar comes with me. Well, obviously they do. But where is it? What's it been doing? Yes. <laughs> I, su- I, I strongly suggest that players and GMs out there in tables give this a try. Um, it can enhance things immensely. Like when the animal companion is miffed at the player character over something that you know happened a few seconds before. If you have somebody else playing that, it can come out at them from out of nowhere. Yes, because, you know, animals can be a little temperamental. Exactly. <laughs> so it gives that character agency in which to have more depth. To the relationship with their animal companion. Yeah. And other players at the table, too. With my animal companion, when somebody else was playing him, it gave the other players a chance to play against and with the animal companion as well. So when the animal companion died, 
Everyone but one of the PCs was sad. What's wrong with her? <laughs> it wasn't a cat. So I highly suggest that you try it. I mean, like I said, you're going to have players that, like, whatever, dude, if I wanted to play other things in my PC, I'd be a GM. That's perfectly fine. Find the ones that will do it. At the minute, I was a bit hesitant, at, for not really resistive to the idea, but I was a bit hesitant when we started divvying up uh, player character, or sorry, NPCs in our Kingmaker campaign. But because one of our player characters has such a rich, broad family, um, I could see how tedious it'd be for the GM having to play, you know, 10 Nine to 12 extra. <laughs> yeah. If nothing else, it's very, di- it's very difficult for a player or a GM to, to have a conversation between multiple characters that all those people are playing. If anyone listening has ever played around tables where players are playing multiple PCs. Very often, those PCs that are played by the same person just don't talk to each other. They'll talk to everyone else, mm-hmm. but they don't usually talk to each other because it's very hard to play off yourself like that. Yes, you I run the risk of the jam playing everybody's interactions and it, it becomes an audio yeah. book. Well, and what yeah. what I found having run an adventure like that where you have each piece, each player playing one PC and then having a large and fairly static group of about 30 NPCs that were traveling with the players... Mm-hmm. The NPCs talk to the players, and the players talk to the NPCs, but the NPCs barely ever talk to each other. And it can very easily create the sense, if you're not careful, that these NPCs are just sitting around doing nothing, waiting for one of the important people to come talk to them. Whereas splitting that load up amongst a few players gives each of those characters so much more agency in their own stories. Yes, and so much so that in uh, Kingmaker 3, I had actually divvied up character sheets of the NPCs to the other players and said, today's session, you don't get to, we're not playing your characters, we're playing the NPCs. Oh, we had lots of fun with that. And we all made men-at-arms guard Mm -hmm. types. And we all made the men-at-arms and administrators uh, in our kingdom who were talking about our PCs behind their backs. And it gave us agency to kind of like, what's going on in the kingdom around us and what are these relationships and how are the how are our leaders perceived and, you know, am I getting good pay for what I'm doing and so on and so forth. And it gave us another avenue so that after the session was over, there was a lot of, that was fun, we need to do that again. Yeah, and a lot of those characters actually continued to be recurring characters later in the adventure where we need, you know, we talk to the guard who's on duty. Okay, well, pick one of these cards at random. Okay, it's this character who we now know something about has right. a few sentences of an established background <laughs> and a history. And we've all, we'd also had times where one of the PCs is just wandering around, and the other PCs, there's one in the library doing some research, so we're not interacting with that character. The two others are in bed talking about their feelings, and, and then the other one's just wandering around. Well, you've got the, the administrator involved in the two people that are chatting about their feelings. So the other players are just sitting there. The other characters just popped up with their NPC and started to the, talking to the character that was wandering around. Nothing big is happening story-wise, but they still get to play and interact. Yes. Yeah. And those, those small moments, if, especially if you're playing a story and character-driven game and adventure, those small moments of interactions can do so much to create a feeling of the character and the world around them being a real place. It's not just, if you play through the small events not and not just the big ones, it creates so much of a richer experience. I'm not saying every single shopkeep that you talk to needs to have a fully fleshed out story, but once in a while having a, you know, having a relationship with one particular, we've talked about a butcher or someone who works in a local cafe, creates a living, breathing world around the PCs. Yes. Yes. I don't want to get into 
talking about making sure your NPCs are rich characters. I want to stay focused on PCs playing the NPCs. So when you're dealing with a small group of NPCs, as a GM, that's a lot easier to manage. And to Clark's example, when you have a dozen NPCs that are constantly traveling with the PCs, having those little recipe cards with a few bits of information and then divvy it up, but then allowing the players the flexibility to say, you can develop this character now. When you say, oh, well, I like to go and I like to chase squirrels or whatever, write that on that little card, and it's like, okay, you like to chase squirrels, so that now you're making it your own so you can actually develop it. Yes, and by doing this, your players become more involved in what's happening with the NPCs. So it's not just that character who has the extended family that's now worried about his family. Right, now it's everyone else at the table, too. Right, and this frees the GM up to, you know, make the encounters, to do other things, and to build off what the NPCs are doing, because it's not something that he's thinking of. One of my favorite role-playing sessions of all time is in DC Heroes, but we'd come to the point where our superhero group was under investigation, and they'd done a lot of questionable bad things. (laughs) We really did. (laughs) So at the beginning of the session, Clayton said, we're going to have this inquiry, and I want everybody to take one of the panel members. Yes. Each person at the table took turns being an inquisitor, as it were, for other people. And oh my god, did we grill our characters. The greatest thing that I've ever seen is even our players who weren't the greatest role players got so in character that they never once used information that that character that they were playing would not have known. Because we all knew everything that occurred with our characters. The Inquisitors didn't. They're trying to get to the bottom of it. And it was it was glorious. Absolutely glorious. It was like a improv theater of a court case. Yep. And at the end, we just all went, Oh, that was intense. So you can have these great role-playing sessions where NPCs become really central and important. Just one other thing that I want to jump on. on that I, actually, not on the idea specifically that you're talking about, but going back a little bit, uh, a little bit before that. I forget who it was, but someone mentioned in passing handing a player, handing an NPC over to a character, and player then fleshing that character out and running with it. That's an important thing. Um, I know myself; I'm a little bit of a control freak, and you have to accept that if you are handing one of your NPCs to a player, it's their character now yes. to do with what they will. Yes, and because of that, I would. I would recommend doing this with NPCs who are, A, not massively fleshed out, because that gives the player an obvious way to make the character their own, but B, you want to be you want to make sure you know if that NPC has specific information about further events in the story, about secret organizations, about, I don't know, magic or whatever, that needs to be provided to the player along with yes. their thing, so that they can, it becomes their information to deliver. Yes, Absolutely. It's still an NPC, but it and it is it is being played by the player, but it's still a tool for the GM to use as a vehicle for delivering information, for furthering the story, for putting the proverbial breadcrumb crumbs closer together so that you can bring the characters uh, not necessarily in a railroad situation, but bring them closer to the avenues that you want them to go down to move the story along. And it also creates a greater investment in the story from everybody around the table. Because now you're looking at the story from not just what the perspective of your individual character, but from the NPC's point of view as well. Yes, 
Absolutely. Okay, so we're pulling to the end. So in recap, um, we all think it's it's a wonderful idea to allow your players to exercise their abilities to further to play these NPCs, to flesh out your world, make it more immersive. And also relieve a bit of a burden on the GM. Yes, and they do. They have a huge one. Clayton and I play in a campaign where I'm the only PC. And she's in a group of 15 people. (laughs) So, I mean, it's huge. Um, So give it a shot at your table. Talk to your players. See who's interested. Not everyone at our table does it. Yeah, and different players will be more or less willing to do this than others. (laughs) But it may surprise you how much fun you can have with it. Make sure that you don't give them a major villain, or even a minor villain, for that matter. Yeah, be careful about which NPCs you're handing over. Believe it or not, we're actually making it to our second topic. Our next topic today is we're going to be discussing digital versus hard copy books. This is quite simple. Most game books nowadays are available in PDF format or some other electronic format that you can look on a tablet or a PC or some other electronic device at the game table. And what is the merit of that versus the traditional hardcover book? I have very strong feelings on this, so I'll let someone else speak first. Well... I actually enjoy the digital, mainly because with the digital, you can easily search. That's it? That's it. It's a very short topic. No. <laughs> that's, that's all you got. <laughs> and you can carry a lot more of the books. So if you've got the core book, the DM's guide, two or three uh, bestiaries, the advanced class guide, the advanced player's guide. Every single first edition Pathfinder book on a single memory stick. Exactly. And it's mm-hmm. and you're not like, we'll watch Franklin come in and he's got this huge backpack full of books. And it's like, good lord, dude. <laughs> Do you need like a forklift for that? I, at, at varying points when I'm GMing, I have been known to have a, a rolling suitcase, like a luggage suitcase for my books. Whereas <laughs> so. with, if you have the digital, then all you need is, you know, a tablet, your phone, what have you. The new Nethys. Archives of Nethys. Archives of Nethys. It's absolutely fantastic for that. It's it's very quick and easy to look up spells on the fly. Right. It's worth mentioning this is specifically a Pathfinder first and second edition. I believe they're the Starfinder content, but this is a Paizo-specific resource. Right. Con of the digital is you got your phone, you got all your digital stuff on your phone, you know, you're looking up spells, and then, you know, you get into this big combat, the two other people will go before you and, you know, hey, your phone is here, so, like, you can just play a game on it while you mm-hmm. wait. And then you're out of context out of the in the game. And then when it comes to you, you're like, what? <laughs> and that is a definite con for having digital. I think myself, I definitely like having a hard copy book. I'm just, probably because of my generation, my age, whatever, but having the physical book in hand, it, it's just more substantial to me than a digital copy. But lately, I'm kind of warming up to the digital idea. Not so much for a library of books, but for being able to reference things. Like you said, the Archive of Nethys is an excellent Paizo Pathfinder resource. And now that I'm getting more into uh, tabletop gaming, I'm finding there's more and more resources on the web that I want to be able to access easily, and digital's the way to do that. Also, just the sheer capacity of the, the amount of books out there. I mean, to go to a game session with seven, eight textbooks is a little unwieldy when you can just have them stored on, on a memory stick or something. But I would say just lately I'm kind of warming up to that idea because prior I would definitely take the, you know, the physical book over a digital copy. It seems like it'd be a renaissance of gaming with a lot of, a lot of sites out there that support your favorite games. Um, it's definitely more appealing. 
Well, and with that, we will catch up with you at our next podcast. All right, we'll see you guys at the table.